Here goes. Going. Right. Don't put me ever in charge of anything technical. <laughs> okay, we're looking at, as Sam's already mentioned, at the book of Philippians. Uh, today we're getting to the start of chapter 2. So if you've got a Bible with you and you want to follow the readings, uh, if you find Philippians chapter 2, I'll be moving to that in a moment. The words will appear on the screen as well, so don't worry if you haven't got a Bible with you. What we've looked at so far, Paul is in prison. He is getting to look as if he's not going to get out of prison alive. He's writing to his friends in the church in Philippi, the first church which he founded when he first came to Europe. And he's talking to them about various things. We've already looked at the fact that even though he was in prison, he could still have joy. So that ties in a bit with what we've been thinking about today. Even in dark times, God gives us joy. It's not, joy is not dependent on our external circumstances. Even in prison, he continued to speak about Jesus. And it saw some of his prison guards become believers and other people in Caesar's household. Last week we looked at uh, the starting bit about uh, Paul asking the other Christians to be united. And that is the context of where we start in chapter 2. But before I get to that, to get a bit of context, if I use the phrase human rights, what sort of things come into your mind? Do you think of the UN Declaration of Human Rights? The European Convention on Human Rights or even the European Court of Human Rights? And a lot of people have a view, positive or negative, about them. Now, of course, at its best, the idea of human rights is a recognition that we're all equally made in the image of God. At its worst, it becomes a weapon to bludgeon people and governments to get what I want for myself. So, if we're to have the unity of mind and striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, which was what Sam was talking about last week, what do we need to do? Now, the passage I'm going to read is likely to be very familiar to you if you've been in church for any length of time. And there's a danger in that, in that because it's familiar, we can just let the words go across our minds without really thinking about them. Whether you're a Christian or not, the words we're going to read now really ought to shock you. And if they don't shock you, you're not really taking in what's being said. So if you don't get shocked by what we read, I'll tell you afterwards why you should be. All right? Let's read from Philippians chapter 2 from verse 1. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm going to start actually in the middle of this passage at verse 6. Here, Paul has told the Christians in Philippi to look at Jesus. Most people think that these verses from 6 to 11 were an early Christian hymn which was used in worship as a sort of short basis of what Christians believed. We're told in verse 6 to 7 that Jesus was in the form of God. Now that doesn't mean that he was like God. That means he was God. But we're told also he didn't count equality with God the Father as something to be grasped. It wasn't something his God, all things due to him because he is God, were not things he was going to grasp onto desperately to make sure he didn't lose them. There were not things he was going to exploit to take advantage of. But we're told instead he emptied himself. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So we have Jesus who is God who in being born as man didn't stop being God, but he took on all the limitations that being a man put on him. A commentator, Stephen Lawson, says this of this verse, that Jesus laid aside his prerogatives, that's his rights, as God, in order to take on the limitations of humanity. And John Calvin, a few centuries ago, said this, Jesus had been brought down to the level of mankind so that in appearance there was nothing that differed in him from the common condition of mankind. That is truly shocking, truly amazing, that Jesus can be God, 
but also give up all his privileges, all his rights. Jesus could have said, you know, I'm God, I've got these rights. Why do I need to be born in a filthy village which nobody pretty well has heard of? Why should I grow up being a baby? After all, many cultures have stories of gods coming down. You have them in the Greek and Roman culture, which Paul's writing in. You have them in cultures right across the world now. But in these stories, when gods come down, they come down as gods, powerful. They come down with all their rights with them. Sometimes we would want a God like that to come down with all his power to put right the wrongs we can see and do what we want to be done. But when Jesus came to this earth, he didn't come like that. He was born in a way so that people could make snide remarks about him as to what his parentage was. You, know, you can see that in some of the things which were said by some of the religious leaders, some of the things that said at Jesus' trial and at his crucifixion. When people said things like, well, we know who our father was, but who's yours? They weren't thinking about God the Father in that context. He was... Any privilege you think he could have as God, he gave up. In the culture at the time, that made no sense. When people looked for a hero at the time when this letter was written, they might think of somebody like Alexander the Great who in about 10 years conquered about half the known world at that time. Across Europe, across Asia, even into Africa. They might think more closer to this time as, say, of one of the Caesars, who had had mighty conquests. But Jesus was not that kind of leader. He was somebody who was willing to give up all that he could rightly call upon. And it gets worse. Because not only was he found himself in, as a human, fully human, he was also obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If this was polite Roman company here, I wouldn't even have used the word cross. You know, if you think in the sort of company you keep, the sort of words which you wouldn't say, and you always find a euphemism to fit in instead, so you don't actually say that word. 
that was the way you would have used the word cross in Roman time. In polite company, you didn't mention it because it was such a vile method of execution. If you were a citizen, if you were a Roman, you could not be crucified because it was too undignified. So this Jesus, who Paul is claiming is God, went for the most undignified death possible. But what does this tell us as a consequence? We're told, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Notice the one thing in this brief summary of the Christian faith which is mentioned about Jesus is his death on the cross. Nothing about his teaching, nothing about the miracles he did. Not that those weren't important. But the most important thing about Jesus was his death on the cross. Because without Jesus' death on the cross, all of what Jitte has been talking about today, all that we have together as a church here, would be meaningless. Because it's by Jesus' death on the cross that we have our sins forgiven, we're able to come in to God's family. And we're told that God has exalted Jesus on the high, showing that God the Father has accepted what Jesus did on our behalf. <coughs> but then we have that problem ourselves. Because if we're going to accept what Jesus did for us, that immediately attacks our pride. Because it immediately shows we are not capable of saving ourselves. Because it's only a God, I say our God, it's only God born as man, taking our punishment, which can actually wipe things clean with God. We can take the message of Jesus and the cross and we can get too comfortable with it. Because either Jesus came, died for us, and took our sin or we are left with it and having to try and make our own way 
There's no other real alternative. But why is Paul drawing the Philippians' attention to this at this point? He's saying, look at Jesus. He was humble. He didn't hold on to his rights so that you could become Christians, you could get saved. Therefore, in a sense, going back to the first part of this passage, if you're going to live together as a church in unity, you need to be like Jesus in the way you respond to other people. You need to be willing to give up your rights. It's very easy to use the Bible to find verses to justify what your rights are as a child of God. And to say, oh, you should be doing that for me because of this. And this is what it says in the Bible. But actually, Jesus gave up his rights. He calls us to give up our rights. The problem is, I think we want to do it a bit like King Willem Alexander. I don't know if any of you have read about him in the press this week, or I got this stuff off the BBC News website. He's the King of the Netherlands, and in an interview with a newspaper uh, this week, uh, this last week, he's revealed that for the last 21 years, he's been King for four years, so the last four years plus 17 or whatever when he was Crown Prince, He's been moonlighting, if that's the right word, twice a month as a co-pilot on KLM Airlines. And so I suppose that puts the Royal into the Royal Dutch Airlines for you. But so twice a month, he puts on his pilot's uniform and he's just a co-pilot on a plane. The problem is the other 28 whatever days of the month, he's still back there as king. And I think sometimes when we look at humility, it's something we're quite happy to do twice a month, maybe even four times a month if you count all Sundays. But actually what Jesus is calling us to is day by day, moment by moment. And I retweeted something, uh, somebody, it's always, people always have a useful tweet for you just before a sermon, about a couple of days ago, says, uh, asking to... uh, Jesus, to help you develop humility is the most dangerous thing you can ever do. Because you can be fairly, well, you can't be fairly certain, you can be certain that your prayer will get answered. And the problem is we don't always want the way that it works out. But if we're being serious as being Christians, if we're going to be like Jesus, the thing which Paul, and which here, picks out is the prime thing you can say about Jesus was that he was humble. Not a kind of false humility which looks very humble on the outside but which has been busy manipulating behind the scenes to try and get what you want. But a true humility. A humility which, as Paul describes it, is we're looking at others as more significant than ourselves and not looking just for our own interests but to the interests of others. Now, having been in Christian cultures, we think, oh, looking after the interests of others 
not just so your own, sounds fairly normal. Again, in the Roman culture of the time, that was actually seen as being evil. Within the Ro- if, you, if you want to get an idea of the culture this is written at, there's lots of either history or sort of historical novel books set in the time of Caesar. You can hardly go into a bookshop and not find them now. Uh, I've almost stopped reading some of those, as much as I like historical novels, because I'm getting a bit bored with the same themes all the time. But you read anything, either historical or historical novel of that period, and it's seen as your duty, pretty well, to use whatever influence you've got for your personal advancement and the advancement of your family, clan, or whatever. And not to do that was seen as being the... Well, it just wasn't comprehensible, because that is just what you did. No, so if you got a government position, you used it to get money for your family. That is what it was seen as being for. So here, when Paul's saying this, he's, again, he's challenging people. Don't think the way the culture around you is thinking. And that's difficult, because we spend every day in the culture around us with people thinking, you know, how can I bend this to my advantage or the advantage of somebody uh, I'm in favour of. But Paul says, no. You need to look at the interests of one another. Because if we're going to develop as a church, united, You can't do that if the first thing you're looking out for is for my own interest. However much we might want to spiritualise it. You know, we might want to spiritualise it as in making, you know, God's given me this ministry, I've got to use it. Actually, no, you haven't. God's put you in a church to serve and to see other people's interests ahead of yours. He will probably use it. He might use it five years later than you think he's going to use it. He might use it in a different way to the way you think he's going to use it. But let us, as Paul does here, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, written in the context of, yes, of course, I know that is there. Let us, therefore, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others having this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him 
and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our example. Lord, we know that we fail when we try to live our lives to the standard which you've called us to. So Lord, we ask for forgiveness for our failure. But Lord, we also thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit to strengthen us and to enable us to live the lives you called us to. So we re-commit ourselves, Lord, to living our lives like you. And Lord, help us day by day to put the interests of those others ahead of our own. Lord, that we might see your name glorified, that we might see those who don't yet acknowledge you bow before you as Lord and Saviour, because they see that you are the one, who, the only one who can make this change in people's lives. Lord, help us, we pray. And we thank you that you give us one another as support and you give your Holy Spirit to guide us. Amen. Amen.